This is Sounding Board Parenting. Creating healthier human connections through the commonality of parenting. Exploring the world of parenting with high-performing mums and dads from a range of backgrounds, industries and family dynamics. He said, the whole world looks different. You can do it your way. My life has been fundamentally altered by their existence. I gotta tell you, kids don't stop learning. That is how I changed the story. Babies are instant community generators. My growth curve just like shot up after I had a kid. I wasn't planning any of it. Let's jump in. In three, two, one. Welcome to the Sounding Board Parenting Podcast. Today, we are speaking with Adam Shand. Adam, it is awesome to have you here. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And and before we jump into it, I'd, I'd love for you to be able to introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself and also the names and ages of your children. Thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Adam Shan, I've been a journalist for 35 years, uh, 20-odd in the crime space. Um, I've also been an African correspondent, financial journalist, writer, you name it, pretty much just trying to earn a living somehow in this ever-changing media environment. And, um, and I've got a couple of kids, um, uh, ages 27 and 23. Uh, Jack's my oldest, he's 27, and Nollyway is 23. And uh, one is in Zimbabwe, Nolly's there with her mother, and Jack's here in Melbourne with me. In terms of the, the roles that, that you play in life currently, you touched on a, a couple of, of them there. What roles do you do you see yourself playing in life right now in this moment? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think you have. I think this COVID things made us think more about our different roles and how that all comes together as one person. You know, you live in the present as that one person, whereas the person who's a bit scattered, he's got his work, he's got his financial stuff, he's got his family. You don't quite know what time space you're in. I think COVID's made us think all of integrate those thoughts into who, who you actually are. And um, uh, I guess one thing my father said to me when I was a kid, he was a psychiatrist. He said, you've got to be the hero of your own drama. And, and we've got a lot of drama going on. So I guess I see myself in that role as a leader in, in the group of people that, that I'm supporting and who are close to me and uh, don't always get it right, but um, certainly try to do that. It's interesting what you mentioned around this this period of, of COVID and, and a lot of other unrest and, and, and disharmony in a lot of ways across a lot of areas of, of life has, has, has pushed us into to really reflecting on, on different parts of our lives. And, and one part personally for me has been the, um, the term work-life balance. And to me, that's, that's changed a lot, it, it, not even just in recent months, but, but in recent years for, for myself after, uh, Oscar uh, being born, that's, that's my partner Jess and I's son who, who's nearly three now. Work-life balance just seems unachievable now in, in some ways and, and I see it more as a work-life blend than anything and, and I feel like it's been compounded in a lot of ways over the last few months and, and, and it's interesting talking to different people now in terms of their thoughts around that too. What, what are your thoughts around the whole work-life balance Oh, I guess in terms of balance, yeah, while I'm still standing up and working, I'm okay. That's, that's how I see it, you know, and I think you've got to, I think, I think, you know, you've got to see your role, you know, and I think it's a luxury to be thinking about, oh, well, uh, uh, you know, if you're building a business or you're building a family, it's 24-7. And I think you only put out, you only get out what you put in. So I think there's been a lot of talk about work-life balance. And I'd rather just say, you know, are you fulfilling your, your roles? Are you happy? You know, and start at simple things like that rather than thinking about external measures of balance and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's a hard question to answer. I've never really thought that way. Yeah. I've always been a, I don't know, in the, the job that I have, it's like you get a call at two in the morning and you're rushing out to see somebody and that's what you do. You don't think, oh, geez, I've, I've already worked 10 hours today. I, I better stop, you know, sit on the couch or reflect on something. You just keep doing it. And I, and I think there's rest when you're dead. That's, that's interesting. Without spending too much time on, on uh, others and, and what we see out there, in terms of what you just talked about in terms of that approach, do you see that as being uncommon in, in society or, or in your circles or is that something that, that you see as being quite prominent? Um, 
I think everyone's experience is unique to themselves. Yeah. I think we're also trying to constantly improve ourselves, get to a better version of you. I think you get to a certain point where you go, the improvement's kind of pointless. This is who I am. This is what I'll be. And be honest and own that, I guess. That's, that's one of the, you know, we're all flawed. We're all trying to do our best in different ways. But uh, I think you just got to get up each morning and continue doing it, not analyse it too much, I think. Okay. Okay. That's, that's really cool. I myself tend to think that path as well in terms of being able to find time to reflect but what you just said, not overanalyze, I think is important because then we can start to tie ourselves in knots, can't we? But oh, I think in, so. In terms of parenting, how, how has parenting changed your life, Adam? Well, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I think people prior to children often talk about being busy. I'm so busy, I can't see my friend. I'm so busy, I can't see my family or whatever it is. And you suddenly have a kid and you go like, I wasn't busy. Now I'm busy, you know, <laughs> and I think what happens though is that you go from that seemingly time poor, busy thing to suddenly finding lots of interior time and space because your priorities are different. And the reason you do everything is to support that family or to fulfill responsibilities around that. So it's not I think the busy thing becomes a bit meaningless. You find your life's work. I mean, my son turned up the day before I turned 30, which was a, you know, it's a kind of a bit of a milestone for people often. You know, they turn 30, they're an adult now, but I was just in a rush of this new kid. There was none of that sort of stuff going on. And that to me is quite symbolic of, of um, you know, you, your priorities change. And like I always wear uh, a little chain, very 70s chain with a couple of... Uh, I don't know if you can see that, Sean, but it's a couple of silver beads on it. And yeah. um, that because the kid's mum, who I'm no longer married to, we're very good friends, but we're not married anymore. She used to wear these silver beads in her hair. And so I got a couple made into sterling silver. That's one for each child. And that way, it's just a physical reminder of priorities and why you do things. I think that's a good thing to have for me to focus you on why you do stuff. That is really cool in terms of just that symbol of bringing you back to, to, to what is, is happening right now and what's important to you. I yeah. really admire that. I think that's, um, that's something that, yeah, anyone could, could take value from in, in any part of their life, just having those little reminders here and there in the form of something tangible. That's, I think it's a really good idea. Really yeah, but that's, I think a lot of people have discovered that, that it's, it's easy to have thoughts, but something tangible tends to, tends to focus that thought and create a, a mood around that too. Definitely, so, yeah. That helps when, the, when, the, when things are getting uh, bizarre and hectic. For sure. We, we have these, what is it, 65,000 thoughts a day that there's a lot of thinking going on, but actually pairing that with some form of action, it usually seems to, to be what trips people up and, yep. and just, yeah, like you said, making it habitual in, in terms of, being able to, yeah, constantly get back to what's important to you or, yeah. or follow up with your energy. Sorry to interrupt. Um, okay. I think the great thing is uh, over time is when the kids are getting bigger, they're adults, then you can see some of the maturing going on and, and hopefully some of the good values that you've managed to learn from your parents and, and other things start to emerge in them. And I think it's very fulfilling then. It's a very satisfying thing. And, and uh, I'd, I'd, uh, you've got to take time to see that. Yeah. Totally, totally. In, in terms of something you said before, it, it made me think of, because Oscar is, is a toddler still, and, and I'm interested in, in your, your view on, on this, they definitely, there's definitely a side effect of being forced to slow down, of having to slow down in, in terms of, even if we're talking as, as realistic as, yeah, getting to places in terms of walking or, or getting to the car or getting to, to work if you've got to drop them off at daycare or whatever it might be, or just out on, on a stroll on, on a weekend day. It's, um, it's amazing how, how they really force you to slow down because you're not walking at the pace that, that you were for, for so long before that. And, and to me, 
that's then sort of transitioned into other areas of life as well as just being able to stop and, and take a moment to, to enjoy what is happening right now as well. Yeah. You mentioned the walking thing. Yeah. He was a little baby once, you know, uh, Jack and I had to, you know, he always wanted to play the ball and you have to say to yourself, you know, I can do this all day. This is fantastic. I'm loving it. But you really think it's a bit tedious, you know, <laughs> and, and, but now at this end, uh, my partner was walking behind Jack and I the other night when we were walking along and she said, you walk exactly the same way, the same sense of purpose, the same sense of, you know, you're not maybe walking fast, but you're working, walking purposefully. And I thought that was, that was interesting, interesting observation that, that we've sort of both arrived at the same headspace. And I must add that when he was a little, little baby growing up from about the age of two, we were in Africa based in Zimbabwe. And I was traveling all across the continent as a freelancer and, you know, just having, you know, adventures effectively. So I probably wasn't the best advertisement for the stay home, you know, put the apron on kind of dad. Um, but I guess at different times in, in your relationship with your children, you'll have a more intense role than the mother and vice versa. And there'll be times when she may have to do it on her own and stuff like that. And but I think over time, as long as there's goodwill and, and love there, people shouldn't feel guilty about pursuing their life's passion. Um, even if it takes you away or, or, or your headspace away at different times. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I've read a book called The One Thing. I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with it, but it, it talks about a lot of different things in life in terms of time management, in terms of working towards that, that purpose that, that we all have inside of us. We, we all have it there. Some people discover early on, some people don't. And, and one thing they talked about was to be able to experience a fulfilling and extraordinary extraordinary life we have to be able to go off the beaten track into the extremes of different areas of our life and it, the reason why that come up then when, when you were describing uh, those those early days is that uh, yeah so some of those areas could be career so you've really got to go hard in that direction in, in this moment in time or it might be okay coming back and spending that time with family and really heading into the extremes with that. And there's so many other different scenarios as well, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to get your, your insights. I think you're absolutely well. right. I think whether, whether it's your career or your sport or your, your whatever it is and your children do it hundred percent Yeah, in those moments. And yeah. I think that's, I love, for instance, the sporting aspect of taking the, the kids to basketball training, which was, all, was club, but also school. So the weekends back in those days were from one game to the other to the other. And I loved it because I really realised it was going to end one day. And I, I think a lot of parents are going, oh, no, I have to do swimming training again. And you think, well, hang on, all those times in the car that you drove out to those far-flung locations to play sport, they were very valuable. And, you know, my old man worked every Saturday and was unable to come to most of my sport. So, and I think he regretted that at the end. He worked too much, I think. I think he might have. And so I, I was determined not to, to miss that opportunity and also to value it. And, and I do see some parents saying, oh, why do I have to go to the sport? You know, rah, rah. You know like, just, just do it. Eventually you'll enjoy it. And when it ends, you'll miss it. I definitely missed it. I'm, and my kids play a bit of sport now. And I, and I, well, in fact, my son, he's a mixed martial artist now. He does, he does MMA, okay? And so when I go to see that sport, it's nerve-wracking. It's horrible to watch. It's the other end of the scale. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I, I hope that he would take the new ball for Australia, you know, against the West Indies or whatever, or England or whatever. But here he is fighting some 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 tattooed prison escapee in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, venue in Adelaide. It's <laughs> wow. That, that is, is very different contrast. Yeah. Very, very different, very different. But you know, I, I'm even to blame there because Jack said to me, listen, I said, all oh, this risk, Jack, this physical injury is really real here. He goes, well, dad, what you do in the crime world and in Africa had risk associated it. But I'd say, Jack, listen, I would try to avoid risk you go and meet it in the ring, you know? I mean, occasionally I'll have some dangerous situations, but, but you actually, it's part of what you do. And I was, I'm very, and I must say, I admire him so much because as a person, it's like anybody, I guess, who's played high-level sport or done anything where it's very 
it's an existential uh, issue going on, that they're very calm and very centred. And, and I feel that it's put him in a, in a great place as a man now. So, and that, I mean, we talked about this. He, he, uh, he was playing soccer in this, sorry, he was playing soccer first, which he hated. Um, and then he started playing basketball, was very good at that, but was much more uh, an individual player than a team player. So I said, well, okay, why don't you try boxing? We'll take you out of the boxing, local boxing gym. He said, yeah, no worries. So spent a few months there, found his way to MMA, and that's now 12 years or more since he started that. Wow. And I think it's been, a, it's been, as a parent, you help them start that journey, but it's their journey, and off they go and do that. I think the worst thing when you see the, the, the parent who's over the top, whether it's sport or academia, uh, living through their children. The and frankly, I don't want to live through my son that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really good segue in, in terms of what you said, Jack, uh, has, has sort of responded to you in terms of your career and, and that world of, of, of being in, in, in crime in, in a lot of ways and, and investigating that world and immersing yourself into it, which, I mean, we are talking about this before we, we jumped on, but 35 years as a journalist, 20 years in, in the space of crime, covering everything from Australia's underworld with, with Carl Williams, Chopper Reed, Outlaw Bikers. But that's not all. That's, that's a part of your, your career that I've, I've followed uh, a lot personally. I've been really interested in, in that side of your work. But, I mean, everything from, from Nelson Mandela's rise in, in South Africa and, and, and some amazing work. In terms of the, the impact parenting has had on your career, so you mentioned Jack raised that with you a couple of times and you challenged him on, on why he was doing it from a risk point of view. How has parenting impacted your career? Um, yeah, it's a hard question. Um, I, think, I think it's all about growing up as a man. You know, I think that's something we have a big problem with in our society, young men, don't go through the rites of passage they might have done in previous generations, both positive and negative, going to a war, playing sport, uh, living away from home, whatever these different rights may be, um, being in the army, being in the police, different things like that. Um, and uh, so I think a lot of young men do struggle with the idea of when am I a man? What does that mean? And I think they can be mugged by the reality of that when they become a parent. And suddenly there is nobody else to blame. There is no one to complain to. You must make a plan and you must do this. So I think that's, that's certainly, I'm not sure if that necessarily applies to me, but I think that's certainly one that I've, I'm aware of. Um, yeah, yeah. I think as a parent, you're just making it up as you go along all the time. And I think you learn to know what's fair and what's not when you're being fair, when you're not being fair, and also to apologise when you get it wrong which I do frequently still, um, gets a big thing. I think you've got to be a parent, not a friend. You know, I often hear this today, oh, my, 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 kid's, my kid's my best friend. Well, are you able to say no to him? Are you able to give him the hard news about, dude, I think that's a mistake, you know, even if it risks that friendly atmosphere? Because I think... You think yeah. sorry, sorry to intrude there. Has that changed for you in terms of that, that approach? that whole parent and friend idea, is that different now to what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I think it's certainly much more prevalent because I think parents want to be in control of a lot more than they used to. And they also want to have this, they feel it's, they have this duty to have this positive emotional interaction, which of course is a good thing. But I think you still have to be a parent. And I think you see the results where children have never heard the word no, where they never heard, where they, where they never told, I don't care what you're saying, you must do that. It's for your own physical well-being or whatever it is, you must do that. And it's not about a parent, it's about this is your duty, you know. And I think a lot of parents want to soften the blow for their kids. I mean, when, we, when I was a kid, I mean, we, we, we were shuffled out the door, certainly in holidays in particular, go out, come back at dinner time, take the dog with you, find your mates, Go have adventures. We're not going to be there. We're going to be socialising with our friends because, like, my parents in the 60s and 70s had this wonderful social life, which, you know, as 
which is great. They had a great time and we, and we had our own time to, to develop and grow and be in those places where our imaginations learnt to roam rather than everything being a set piece, you know, helicopter parents, you must get, not get dirty, you must not do this, you must not do that. And I, I think that's the sadness right now is that if this COVID thing goes on for several years, a lot of that wonderful randomness of life is removed unless we find another way to do it. Um, but I thought it was fantastic as a kid to have that. And I think it, it, it brought about a yearning for independence, which is, I think, I think really the, the measure of your parenting is, is how well you launch them. Thank you for, for being so, so open and honest about that. I'm, I'm really keen to, to circle back to, to, to the parenting that you experienced uh, when, when you were younger as well. Before we, we do that, just around the, the, the career space still, in, in terms of these people that you've you spent time uh, writing about, investigating um, in the media, and, and just plucking a couple of names out, you, you Carl Williams, uh, Chopper Reeds, these types of people who, who were fathers as well, when you think about these people and, and the public perception, uh, whether it is through the media or, or, or what they are publicly known for of, of being involved in uh, over their, their life's journey, and then also bringing the fact that, that they were fathers, what, what sort of thoughts and, and feelings come up for you in terms of the, um, the impact on, on their kids potentially as well. Um, and just the, the journey that, that they have gone through and, and are going through. Well, I mean, the first word that jumps to mind is betrayal because every child should expect a secure and safe home and upbringing and their parents should do their best to instill them with good values. And I think what you see in the criminal world is often a sense of entitlement that one doesn't need to work for something. One just, just takes it and you take it from somebody else, whether it's violently or otherwise you can, and the double standards are involved where people are talking about, you know, keeping their kids away from evil while they're manufacturing methamphetamine and murdering people who are their rivals. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double standard world. And I think mm -hmm. I've not, I've rarely seen it. I've rarely seen it end well. And again, it's about maturity. A lot of these guys get to the age of 40 and they might be parents and they might have uh, been in and out of jail and they spend all that time blaming somebody else for their problems, whether it's the person who got the opportunity ahead of them, <clears throat> their own parents, um, this type of thing. And at 40, they suddenly realise, oh, my God, you know, this was my life. I was responsible. I should have owned it. And, and I've, been a, I've betrayed the people around me. And I think some people manage to use that as a, as a spur for change. Others sink into the, the helplessness of that. And, yeah, it's, it's sad when I see it. And I guess one of the, what I really found interesting was in the bikey world where, contrary to the image that there's sort of this sort of criminal recruiting going on and they, that they approach people because of their criminal prowess or physical attributes it's much more about men finding a sense of belonging and a kind of family which they didn't experience at home and i have had so many conversations with big tough bikies almost in tears when they talk about how their father let them down or beat their mother up or was not there and there's usually some cataclysmic moment where you know when i was 15 it was christmas dinner and you know Dad raised his hand to, the, to mum and I beat the crap out of him. That's the last time I saw him. And then I found my way into a bikey club, which then stopped my, my cycle of offending, acting out offending, public violence, um, thin skinness, brittleness, which led you to acting out. That gets pulled in. And that, but they might get involved in other nefarious things, mind you. But I've seen, and that's, that's the sort of paradox about, about bikey clubs is that, they, they can be the best of uh, male role modelling and the worst, depending on what club you're in. Feeling of belonging, that's, that's an interesting term. And you, you mentioned earlier in our chat around men, and I'm not sure if you, you're alluding to, to in this uh, time that, that we're in, but finding it really difficult to, to, to understand and 
what 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 is it to be a man and and there's some real struggles with that do you see that as being something that is prevalent to to right now and in the modern era or is that something that's always been there do you think there's there's issues that are uh, are real hot topics at the moment in in the world that are making it more difficult or has it always been like that from your point of view i think it's an increasing as i said earlier about um, rites of passage and understanding uh, when you are a man and what that means, what role you will fulfil. And I think in some ways COVID has been a clarifier but saying, well, what is my role right now? It's no longer, I'm no longer abstracted from my physical self, abstracted from my family because I'm an economic unit and I have to keep going because there's a mortgage and there's, there's an aspiration we have. You're now faced with, you might not have a job, you might be surviving on welfare. You'd be now in the home with your wife, with your children, a lot more. And suddenly, in a, in, a, in a very present way, you have to then find out what your role is. It's not just when I come home from work and I'll throw the ball with the kid for an hour or I'll go to the sport on a Saturday and then I won't see him the other 80 hours of the week where I'm, that I'm working. That's now changed. So I think that's going to be very challenging for people. And I do. I think that's, that's probably the most challenging cohort in this pandemic is people with young children. I think that's... Because you, I guess previous generations, we've had 30 very good years in Australia where most people, a whole generation has grown up thinking they're, they're entitled to peace and harmony, a place to call their own, you know, all that type of thing. And now that's, that's um, under threat. It's changing. And I do have sympathy for young men in particular because I think they have, they, you know, this is probably not very politically correct, but I think they've certainly focused a lot more on their feminine side, you know, and, and trying to be more understanding and more empathetic and so forth. But, you know, there's still a role for the old caveman male doer, you know, who goes, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to slay that bear. I'm going to go and do that thing. I'm going to, you know, and that's, and that's a positive thing to do. Nothing wrong with that. You know, if it, if it then spills over into misogyny and, and domestic violence, that's a whole other thing. But I think, I think, you know, using your maleness as a virtue in the nurturing, sheltering, protecting sense is a good thing. Yeah, we're starting to, to go back into uh, what we are talking about before in terms of going into those extremes uh, mm. of, of different areas of our life. Like you said, it, it can be applied to anything in terms of, okay, so as a young man, I do respect that and, and that does resonate with me in, in terms of being able to be more empathetic now than than maybe my father could be or 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 uh, his father bef- before him and, and generations before that but there's still that yearning to to be um to to go down that path of, of being able to i suppose uh i don't know how how to put it in into terms but to to be in both worlds and, and to have that blend in, instead of it just being one way or the other to be able to, to go between both. And, and I think that that opportunity to be able to do that makes for a better person instead of yeah. it just being sort of uh, fixed on them that this is the way that, that men have to be from, from now on. Uh, mm. and, and, and I can see how they're, they're, that could be the way it's been interpreted out there uh, at the moment in, in a lot of ways as well. And, and, and just going, going back to, to the career piece, what, what do you think it, it's been like, what do you think it's been like for, for Nolaway and, and Jack in, in terms of uh, maybe times where, whether it's uh, covering a, a certain story or looking into uh, certain things that is happening in that underworld uh, or, or mm. in that criminal world? Uh, have you guys discussed what, what it, what it was like for them, what it has been like for them? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess we have. Um, I mean, I've always seen life as a great adventure. So what I'm trying to emphasise to them in my career is you can have your adventures and a career. You can be passionate about social justice and not compromise. You can, you can stick up for people who are unpopular and not suffer or, or accept the suffering. Be who you are, you know. And uh, I don't much like working full time for people for that reason. I like to be able to have my own independence as much as I would do work for different groups, but I maintain some independence. 
I guess that's I guess I try to role model that that you know I, I get up in the morning and I and I and I head out to do something and I'm full of the same enthusiasm I had when I was 20, probably more. Um, and I've got a great energy around that, I think. Uh, so I, I hope that's a positive thing for them. But again, it's like someone, like my father said to me, be the hero of your own drama. I love that idea, you know, like that, that you, that, and the hero's always got the right qualities and you know what those qualities are, right and wrong. You know what they are. We don't always behave like we know what they are, but we know what they are. So, so to try to invest yourself with those qualities as a father and tell that to your children, I think it's the best thing you can do, I think. Because yeah. especially right now, boy, this is like, you know, the horror film, you know, <laughs> from hell right now. So I think that resilience, that's a word we haven't used yet. It's something that I, that I, I think a lot about. Uh, I think a lot of people are quite fragile and brittle and uh, that they're finding their, resi- that their resilience is challenged currently. Time for a short reflection break. This is an opportunity for you to stop, take a breath and reflect on your past week as a parent. If you have a pen and paper near you, that's great. If not, simply use your phone or laptop. I want you to write down three things. First, write down one moment in the past week that you were proud of yourself as a parent. Second, Write down one area of your parenting that you would like to improve for the next week. Third, write down one moment from the past week where your child or children have made you smile. Be kind to yourself and enjoy the rest of the podcast. What have you learnt from from your kids, Adam? You need a maid. That's one thing I definitely... <laughs> you know I'm what, joking. Jess and I were just having the comment... We were just having the conversation. Well, imagine once a week if someone just come in and just went boom. <laughs> well, I would certainly, if anyone has a chance to spend a fair bit of time in the third world, um, because when the kids were small, we did have maids and we weren't rich. Everyone had a maid. So, so in fact, there were times where you had to fight the maid to get your own kid. Uh, you know, that, that was kind of <laughs> unexpected. But what have I learned from my kids? Um, well, they continue to teach me things and that, but I, but they, but more than that, their personality continues to reveal itself. This is not a didactic thing. They're not seeking, I'm not seeking to learn from them and nor are they seeking to teach me, but their personality um, evolves and you are, are struck with the reality that biologically and on the DNA level, you are almost identical, but other than that, they are their own person. And just because they've got the same surname doesn't mean they're going to be exactly like you. And their experiences, well, I mean, Jack's, Jack's um, uh, experience in the MMA world where he had other very influential male role models uh, who kept him safe and gave him a lot of philosophy and, and have driven him in his art. He's also a graphic artist. So driven him in that direction is fantastic. So, again, all you can do is just let that happen and then enjoy it and keep tabs with it and keep communicating. Hmm seeing that sense of self come out in, in different ways is, is, is pretty cool, isn't it, from, from a parenting point of view? I, I mean, we're, we're at different phases uh, as, as fathers, as, as parents, uh, with, with Oscar being three, but you know where I've seen it most at, at this stage is when I get the, uh, the opportunity to see him interact with, with peers, whether that be at, at daycare, whether that be when... Uh, we're looking after one of his friends, whether that be um, at the park, um, having a kick uh, of the soccer ball or the footy or playing on the playground. There's this feeling that builds up inside of me when I see him going about a conversation or an interaction in his own way, in terms of something that I may never have done uh, or I, I maybe would have done differently. And, and that there's a real beauty in that, seeing that mm. difference in, instead of it just being the way that I think it should be. And I'd be lying if I said there weren't times when that was, wasn't challenging. Yeah. But now it's, it's, I've got to a point where 
where, where I'm really grateful for that. And, and I think it's really cool. And, and I could hear that in, in what you were talking about as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, it'd be quite kind of scary to have a clone, wouldn't it? these people yeah. are our children it, it would it would but just on what we've took, been talking about helicopter parenting is that is that as scary for people as as we, we're saying it is in terms of is it actually a want or, or is there some part of people or parents out there that that do want that because i i don't know that's something i, I tend to see a little bit as well they want to do that different. i don't know i guess there are different reasons for doing it and different degrees of what, how they do it yeah but I think sometimes it comes from a sense of guilt that they're yeah. spending a lot of time. I mean, they're trying to compartmentalize their lives and they control all those things. And there's a sense of loss of control, which which is equals failure, I guess. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times gets spent in structuring children's lives with extracurricular activities. There's violin and there's Latin and there's ballroom dancing or whatever all other things going on. And, you know, the kid gets to 12 and says, I hate all of this and I hate you. As a result, and I had I have seen that from very well-meaning parents uh, who are really doing everything they can, spending thousands of dollars on these things, and uh, yeah, it, it's a tricky one. But the other, the other thing I've had to deal with, which we haven't touched on, is race, because uh, you know their mum is black, these kids are mixed race, and that, and that's been an ongoing dialogue between me and them, um, and as to as to what that means and what it means in terms of identity. And, uh, and I get these funny misconceptions from people who say to me, oh, you know, you were married to a black woman and your, and your children are brown. You must not be a racist. I said, why? Why would that be? You know, this is not, nothing to do with that at all. It's about your heart and your mind. It's not, you know, your relationships as such. Um, so I, I take the point of view that everyone can be a racist, everyone can be bigoted and prejudiced, and it's it's not exclusive to to white people with white people or anybody else. But I guess I've always let them try to, rather than identify with either side that you're black or you're white, is to work out who you are. And 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 I think Jack has, to a large degree, reconciled that because when he when when he stands in the ring, you know, it's not about skin colour. It's about that eight-ounce glove that's going for your head. Doesn't matter what colour it is, uh, and that foot that's going to hit you in the mouth. So, uh, I think that's helped him forge. He's very comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't see it as a different colour anymore. Culturally, he went to a private school in Melbourne. You know, he's also he's also been to a a very rough mixed school in Los Angeles. You know, where all the black kids played together, all the Mexicans played together, the white kids played together. And that though he had to confront those sorts of things early on. And so their life experience has helped that a lot. So you, I was going to ask, do you think that that has helped him be comfortable in his own skin? Because that, that thought itself of, of anyone being comfortable in their own, own skin, I think that's, that's the epitome of life in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I think for us growing up in Australia, Anglo-Saxon background, white skin, it's a lot easier. Clearly, it's a lot easier. Mm. And I think on positive and negative, I think there's a lot of focus on it. And, mm. uh, you know, there's assumptions made about kids and, and what, what their politics might be or what their interests might be based on skin. And I don't see that as racism. I think it's just stereotyping. You know, I think we need to be very careful about that word. We, could, we use it all the time. We don't know what it means even. You know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of houses in the, there's a lot of rooms in the house of race. There's stereotyping, yeah. prejudice, bigotry, all these things based on race, you know? Yeah. So I'm very careful when I use that term. Uh, it gets thrown around and, you know. Um, so uh, I think that um, they, they, they've, they've learned to, and they're still evolving. Nolly, I think, is still evolving with that because she gets a lot of attention as an attractive non-white woman. And, and whereas Jack gets a different kind of attention and it's, it's easy for him to deal with. So... We talk about it a lot, actually, particularly lately in terms of feeling negative towards one side or other of their background. You know, she says, oh, how can I hate white people because half my people are white? And how can I not identify with black struggle because half of my people are black? And so these are continuing discussions. And I think it's what the country's doing as well. So, again, it's, uh, it's not a bad time to be doing it. 
It seems to be a an important part of any parenting journey is, is being able to have, uh, wh- whether you want to call them difficult conversations, tough com- conversations, whatever it might be, how, uh, and it doesn't have to be specifically this one that you're describing, but how do you go about having those those conversations as, as a parent with, with your kids? Yeah, depends on what they are. Yeah. Sometimes they're done at high volume. Sometimes they're done in, in, in a quiet, consultative uh, mode. Uh, but I think you've got to have them because I think you get into these no-go areas where people can't voice these things and, and they, the issue still remains there, but you're not talking about it. And I don't think that's any good at all. Um, you, better, you better have a big ding-dong battle and then get it all out, stop being nice to each other all the time to avoid hurt. You know, life's, life's a hard, world's a hard place. You've got to be ready for it. And uh, I don't think your parents should spare you the reality of, your, of the consequences of your actions, for instance. There's definitely part of that that, that I share with you in, in terms of uh, whether it be arguments um, with a partner or, or a child or another person or, or debates, however you want to say them, we were given the, the ability to, to shout and to, to get vocal, vocal as well. So, I mean, why shouldn't we be able to use it? Uh, yeah, yeah, and not in a destructive way, but, no. you know, the, you know to, to, get, to get someone's attention, yeah, absolutely. The, it's, it's part of, um, yeah, p- part of that repertoire of, of being yeah, able to communicate. But, I mean, gotta, but we certainly have to, we have to avoid that, stereotype of male anger, which is, can be intimidating and, and, and frightening and, and disempowering. Mm. That's for sure. Um, and I do see, funny, my, my daughter is very much like me. She, in fact, she prides herself on being like me, you know? You know, she, she'll say, you know, I got into this road rage incident the other day. I was just like you. I said, I don't do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? So <laughs> it can be taken to the nth degree. And, you know, and she sees it as a virtue. I mean, she sees... I mean, we lived in Africa and in Zimbabwe and, it, and she's there now and, and she's having to get through the, the various issues that, that we don't have to hear in terms of basic things to get done, getting places, getting people to transact properly and so forth. And she goes, you know, I always, always apply your principle of take no shit, take no prisoners, you know. I said, well, you also can't get too far ahead of the people you're dealing with either. You know, you're going to burn yourself up with, with pressure and tension if you do it's amazing how much they they soak up in, in terms of whatever they're, they're observing or watching. But then it's interesting, like you said, that there's a, an element of them interpreting it, obviously, in, in the, the way that they're going to interpret it too, which we have no control over. We, we only have control over the part that uh, we are playing in, in terms yeah. of how we are acting, behaving. And, and, we, and you can't control that. You can't, yeah. be, you can't be putting on a mask all the time. You can't be, yeah. you know... I mean, if it's so bad, go and get some help about it. But really, your personality is what, what it is. And, and that's why, uh, so for better or worse, I mean, as long as you maintain your love and connection, and I think there are people who don't do that and they lose their families as a result. <clears throat> so Totally, yeah. yeah. I, I believe we, we all have, uh, I, I call them bright spots in terms of those strengths, those superpowers. So I, I believe in being able to maximise those uh, in a parenting sense as well for mm. For, for those around you, including your children to see, but we all have those blind spots as well. And, and, and being open to, to challenging them and having them challenge, uh, whether that be by, by your child or by a peer or whoever it might be, can be, um, can be a game changer. Well, I've, I found it to be, to be that anyway. And you know, it is, and I think you're right. And I think you can, you mentioned superpowers. And I think uh, in my professional role, doing literally thousands of interviews, with all kinds of people, from people who are very cooperative but very dishonest, through to people who are incredibly uncooperative but honest. Um, And the feel and touch you develop through all those conversations can lead you to believe you have a superpower. You may well, but even Superman had a kryptonite weakness, right? So don't think it's going to ensure you against mistakes. It won't. Totally, totally. We touched on uh, uh, your parents a couple of times earlier in terms of um, your experiences uh, with parenting as a child. What, what, what parenting did you experience as a child, Adam? Yeah, well, a pretty conventional 1960s, 70s Sydney upbringing, I guess. Dad was working a lot, five and a half, six days a week. He was up at 4.30 in the morning 
um, doing his reports ready for the day. He, he worked a, a very solid week and I was, I was always very impressed by that. And in fact, I get up at 4.30 now and do exactly the same thing, which is a bit scary. Uh, and um, and they, as I said, they had a good social life too. And, and we, were, we were four kids. And so we would end up spending a lot of time with each other. And there were family holidays, all that kind of stuff. But dad was interesting because he, his father had never, he'd left the family when he was 10 and hadn't had a second family. So dad never had a lot of one-to-one time with a father figure. So I think he was still learning as he went along. And sometimes I, I felt he was sort of overly rational because he, he was a scientist, a doctor, a psychiatrist, and he didn't have this background of a lot of love. So I don't think that was developed in his emotional arsenal. And, you know, it was, it was funny because in his, in his final years, he had five years where he had dementia from 80 to 85 when he passed away. And I was involved in a project then of, of finding our family history and teaching him where he'd come from because his father had never done that for him at the time. And even to the point where the original ancestor who came from Scotland had his name and that's why he was called John, you know. And then we discovered that we still owned part of his great-grandfather's farm. So we then spent much of that five years battling the New South Wales government for compensation to our entire clan, which was successful. So I was very lucky at that those last few years to have this really unique opportunity to, to, to have an adult relationship with my father where I was actually answering his questions about him rather than the reverse as would normally happen. So that was, that was quite unique. That must have been a unique and, and beautiful experience. How do you feel right now reflecting on, on that period of your life, Adam? Yeah. Uh... Exceptionally real and authentic, I guess, and uh, and tapping into those those emotions with my father, and you know, actually being at his deathbed and holding his hand as he took his last breath, you know, and that that was the punctuation point of this period, and uh, and he showed me that death was not something to be feared, you know, it was the natural part of life, and that was that was remarkable. Uh, so it was a, it was a chance to have that closeness that we. Might not have, because I left the family when I was 18, didn't come back. You know, as soon as I got the chance to go, uh, you know, I went to the Northern Territory and worked in a mine for six months, came back and did all the, the shared house stuff and then went up to the country for, uh, for college, came back, went into, into newspapers. Suddenly I was in Brisbane and Melbourne and I was hardly there again. So, and that's what, I guess my father valued my independence uh, on that basis, that he thought that was a good thing, that I was self-reliant. But look at it today and say, well, what, what kids do that? They, they tend to want to stay around more. They want to stay at home until they're 30 sometimes. You, know, you see that. How old are you, Sean? 24. 24. Oh, okay. You're, yeah, you've, you've launched early, which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think I've, I've aged uh, 20, 30 years or something after, <laughs> after entering the, the world of parenthood, but, but yeah. 20 years in, a, yeah, in, in an awesome way as well. So. Yeah, and can I, so what happened? Did you, were you, was this a planned thing? You always wanted to have a child early or it just happened? What happened? I've always loved uh, being around kids. I've got two younger brothers. I've, uh, yeah, as we mentioned before, worked in sport, a lot of um, work with schools and, and junior uh, sporting clubs and, and that sort of thing. So it's always been, been a real joy to be around kids. Did I, did I think that we're going to, I was going to have a kid at, at 20, 21? No, no, it, it definitely, um, if I, was totally honest. I had a bit of a plan in mind. I've always been a real planned sort of person. And, and, and I thought it was the whole 30 plus sort of thing. I thought there was going to be uh, a lot of different adventures through, throughout those uh, 20s. And, and yeah, as, as it happened, I, I met my, my beautiful uh, partner, Jess, and, and there was an instant connection there. And, and, and it was within a year that, that we we welcomed our, our baby boy Oscar in, into the world, and, and well that done. yeah that 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 has a story behind it in itself. We actually um, Oscar was born up in Broome uh, in northern northern WA. Um, we actually found out that that Jess was pregnant 
three days before I accepted a job up in Broome. Uh, yeah, 20 odd hours away from any family and stuff. And, and, and I can sit here now and, and say that that, that experience itself, uh, with, with I'm sure many more ahead, but that experience itself shaped um, a lot of amazing things about us as, as a team, but, but also, also myself. And, and, and just to, to go off tangent for a little bit, I, I, I had this approach and I'm, I'm interested to get your view on this actually. When I found out I was going to be a dad and, and in those nine months leading up to, to the moment Oscar was born, I had this thought that I'm, I'm going to teach him everything. I'm going to teach him how to do this, to do this, to do this. And I'll be honest, I, I had that totally mistaken because I, I feel like he's taught me more in the first few years, first, not even three years of his life that then I think I could ever uh, teach, teach him in a lifetime. It's um, yeah, it's, it's an awesome journey. Yeah. It's interesting. That's interesting because you do go through that phase in the first few years where it's all about what this new entity teaches you, you know, Mm -hmm. and then increasingly their needs change and they can vocalize their needs much more. (laughs) And it probably switches over a bit. You suddenly are doing a lot of, don't put your hand on the fire, kid. You know, don't run out on the road. You know, brush your teeth this way. And you spend all your time telling them what to do, telling them what to do. And mm-hmm. I think the beauty of having children early, as you have, is that when you're mid-40s, they'll be adults. Mm. They'll be adults. And the ones I do, I do, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, you know, but I, I see these guys in their 50s doing it again. I go, man, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Seriously. Not your cup of tea. Focus on what you've already got, you know? Focus on what you've already got because I'm sure there's still work to do there. And the resentment that I, that I, that I see, you know, from, from in those sort of families where, you know, dad will say, I've got the beautiful young wife and the beautiful new baby, but my, my oldest kid won't speak to me. Haven't speak to them for five years. You go like, man, what was it all about, you know? And I see these guys walking down the streets, right? These are old guys with, with prams, you know? And it looks like they've got handcuffs on. They go like, I feel like saying, dude, I know you wanted to have Nookie with a young girl, but you didn't have to marry her. You didn't have to have a baby with her, okay? You know, what's that all about? What's, why do you need to do it again? Be a grandfather, for God's sake. What's wrong with that? It is, it is honestly, I think, worth another episode if, if, you, if you'd be keen to, to jump back on it at some point. I think just the whole why or the reasoning behind having kids in, in the first place. And, and I know yeah. you're talking about a, a certain time of, of someone's life, but I think in general, in terms of, is it for me? Is it for, for someone else, your partner, or, or is it to bring another life into this world? And there's so many other uh, sort of angles and paths to go down with that, which I think. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jack, Jack tells me, Oh, I don't think I want to have kids. So why? I hope, I hope it's not because of the, the brutal treatment you got as in your own childhood, which it wasn't. But um, uh, in fact, the funny thing is the only, the only scar on his face from, from anything is from me, right? You think all this boxing and all kind of stuff, you know. We were playing frisbee in the garden. I was showing how you can throw the frisbee back to yourself, right? And of course, it hits him in the face, you know. And he's got this, got this kind of like action man scar down his eye there, which he's always had. And I, I look at him, I think that's, that's your failure as a parent. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just staring you back in the face. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> uh, maybe, that's, maybe it's similar to the necklace. It's one of those reminders. Of, um, well, it is. Of, of, of Cause and effect. Yeah. Cause and effect, yeah. Totally, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm wary of time. This has been awesome. I could keep going on, but, but I just have a, a couple of more questions to 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 ask you adam in terms of what you were talking about your parents before as well what you you mentioned what i seen as as a quite a profound lesson there in in terms of talking about those final years with with your father and Mm. and and starting to talk about what you learned about death uh in in that period are there any other lessons that that come to mind that that you're that you've taken from from your parents well, my mother, there's something I always tell her is that whenever, when I had too much homework, she'd always say, get up and do it in the morning. You'll be fresh. And that's why I, I still do that. You know, and it sounds like a really simple thing, but it's not. It's actually got a lot of in, into it. Like, you know, don't get overwhelmed. Just get to bed, wake up fresh. There's another day ahead of you, effectively. I think that's been pretty good advice, you know. 
And uh, we spent a fair bit of time together now, me and mum, and we didn't for a while. I guess I was caught up with what I was doing and, and so forth. But particularly since dad's passed away, we're spending a bit more time together. And uh, I'm understanding more about her. And, you know, and I've done a little bit of research into her family history and there were some events back in previous generations, which I won't go into, but they, but they kind of you understand more about her as an adult. And I think what have that, you learned about her without having to go into those details? Oh, what what you know, have you learned about uh, well, her? Well, you know, the, the era that she grew up in, very intelligent lady who didn't get the chance to go to university, didn't get the chance to pursue her career that she should have, raised four children. And, you know, I think there are times when she's regretted that and, you know, stuff like that. And I, and I, I see the sacrifice that, that, she, that those women and men of that generation made for various stereotypical reasons. Things have changed since then, which is great. So, and it puts and it puts her pride for us in 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 perspective too. That you know, that she, yeah. So there's that. Um, I mean, I just think hard work. I mean, I think that's that's sounds like a truism, but I always saw my parents work hard, whether it was in the home or or in their businesses and things like that. I think that's massively important. You know, and I can the idea that I can work harder, longer, stronger than the guy next to me. You know, I think that's a pretty useful thing in, in life to have. Uh, yeah, and I think also just, just to, I mean, my, my mother used to um, play Leonard Cohen. You're probably too young to know who Leonard Cohen was, right? I, I don't. You should look him up. Look him up. As a parent, you'll need Leonard Cohen. Trust me. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a, a, a 60s poet and full of angst and existentialism and, and what's the purpose of life and, you know, this type of thing. And so, the human experience. Yeah, you know, I like that sort way. of like, stuff. So yeah, and like you know, the old man loved Glenn Campbell. I love listening to Glenn Campbell. As a result, I mean, a country singer. Who'd have thought? You know, um, so you are you are products of your parents, and and it comes out as you get older. I think I think as my as I get older, uh, I look more and more like my dad as well. I never thought I used to, but I think it's also in mannerisms too. It's it's the things you do and and the things that you associate with manliness that he used to do, which I find interesting. Yeah, it, it is that um that power of omnosis as well in terms of yes. what you what you pick up along the way, and I just want to um acknowledge first and foremost something that I think is unique. What I haven't come across even in the Sandy Bull parenting journey uh, or my life journey so far is is what you've brought up around the learnings that you've taken from from your your parents later in life in terms of reflecting on, on those final few years with your father and in terms of your time with, with your mother. Now that is something I really admire. And, and I think that that is awesome. So I just Thank want to you. acknowledge you for that as well. I think, yeah, that's really I think cool. that's right. I think we look at our own parents and through, through a changing prism over the years, what's that saying at 15, you can't believe how stupid your parents are. And by 21, you can't believe how much they've learned, you know, uh, because it's your own life journey impacting on your impression with your parents and, and your frustrations and successes and stuff like that. So I think if you can, if you can keep that communication going, that's the best thing for you. And, but also, but, but stop seeing, I think, I think some relationships with parents tend to infantilize adults. You know, you, you, you might be cast into that sibling hierarchy that you were with your brothers or your sisters, and that's how your parents might view you. Oh, you're always number three child, and that's the way you're going to behave, and that's what I was, number three. And I, I guess I've struggled to sort of say, no, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a person with my own family. And, you know, yes, you reference that period, but let's have a, a contemporary adult relationship as well. Mm. That's interesting. I've got a couple of other things that have just come up in, in my head just while you were saying that. And, and one of those is, is a podcast I was on yesterday, actually. I, I was talking to a, a, a father who, who actually talked about even while the kids are still at home, they're, they're in their teens, they're actually, uh, both him and his wife uh, as the parents are taking specific time to, to go and spend weekends away with, with one child at, at different times to be able to actually give them, um, one, give them some specific time, but also learn more about them as a person and to be able to bond yeah. in that way instead of it always being as a family. And the reason why that come up is that whole hierarchy uh, approach that, that you were just mm. talking about then in, then in terms of siblings as well. Yeah. That's, um, no, I think you're right. I think however you do it, whether it's 
taking that kid to sport early in the morning and having that quiet time before and after, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with disappointment when that kid doesn't get selected, you know, it's not all about good things. It's often about bad things too. Yeah. And about saying, well, you didn't try hard enough, kid. That's the reality of life. You know, you don't, you know, I think they're good one-to-one discussions. Um, and yeah, I, I think you have to, de- they will develop individually. So you might miss some of those things that, that you'll see evolving later if you don't have that window into it. So sure, it's a good idea. Mm. It, let's, um, let's go back in, in time again now. And, and if you could transport back in time with one piece of parenting advice for your pre-parent self, what would it be? Mm. Shut up more, I think. Listen more. Listen more. It's, you know, it gets, I think as men, we're trying to be, be a father, be a man, be masculine, be strong. And so I think part of that being a man is listening, being more open to that and listen to the subtext as well. That's probably the main thing, I guess. Other than that, I've been absolutely perfect, I think. <laughs> Incredible. Maybe we'll get Nolloway and Jack on as well next time yeah. just to, just to um, yeah, balance that out a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. I mean, she, my daughter a couple of years ago, she wrote me a letter saying um, uh, the things I don't thank my parents for, right? And, and it was all these things about her hair mostly. Um, Did you write <laughs> an article on that? We did actually. Well, she wrote it mostly, I think. Or was okay. it? I forget. We were it together anyway. I, I've seen it. I'll have to share it in the show notes as well. That, be yeah, cool. yeah. That, that 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 was a good moment. That was that was nice, you know. And that goes back to a bit of race and the and the issues that come up about you know about race. Um, mm. Because yeah, it's difficult. Because as parents, we got together. Sakai and I. She's now a cabinet minister in Zimbabwe. She's the minister for industry and commerce in Zimbabwe. She's a, an amazing story in her own right, you know. And we got together in the time of apartheid in South Africa. She was in Melbourne. And, you know, our union was, was as much political as it was romantic. And so, and so we lived out those choices, those choices in our children by having mixed children. And when we first went to South Africa, it was still apartheid. You couldn't, we couldn't be on the same beach together, you know, this type of thing. We weren't living there, but we visited there. So, so there was a strong sense of politics driving our relationship as well as the normal romantic stuff and so our political choices and all our choices are visited on our children one way or another so i think you know when you when you look at them and see how they turn out well you've got to be responsible then too yeah that's heavy my friend in in terms of what you were just describing about uh yeah whatever phase of a relationship you're in if it, when yeah those sort of constraints and and pressure is 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 on you as well i can I mean, it sounds like you definitely grew together from whether it was from that or yeah. from that love together as, as well. But that's, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, and the good that, thing is with, yeah. with, with, um, this drives my current partner crazy, by the way, she's not listening. I can get away with this now, but my continuing relationship with the mother of my children, not just about the children, but about those, those things that we thought were important in Africa, in Australia, in the world, they're still driving our dialogue, you know, it's changed. And I think that's good for the kids to see too, uh, that I hate this thing of two people come together, you know, they fall in love. Love's a very deep hole. Um, and as someone sung once, and uh, they end up blaming each other. It's their fault. It's that fault. No, no, you made the choice together. You know, they weren't a secret agent. They weren't undercover. They were the person you met. You made that choice. You've got, you got to own them. That, that's part of being a parent too. And I hate this syndrome of where one kid or one parent tries to poison the kids against the other. I always say to parents who are, the, who, are the, who are the victims of that, the kids will grow up one day and they'll work out who's telling the truth and who's bullshitting. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Just, just, just settle back, relax. Don't try to fight it. The kids will work out Who's playing one against the other eventually? They're not stupid. Just get out of the way. Yep, <laughs> of get out of the way. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are you loving about parenting right now, Adam? Um, that I'm not having to wipe their bums anymore. Oh, you're not a fan? <laughs> oh, no. Well, yeah, there's only so much of it you can do. You I know? don't know if there's many out there. but No, no. But I think, you know, I think the great thing is that, you, that you're not, that you, that you make yourself redundant 
in a, in a practical sense, not an emotional sense. But I think that that, that should be the aim of it. You should Resigning be from your role as a parent. Well, letting them be adults, letting yeah. them graduate from that role, you know, and, and having that faith in them and, and the trust in them that they're going to make the, make the good choices and you're there when you're needed. And usually when, when there's a dollar sign attached to it, still, that's all right. I understand that. That's okay. The walking ATM. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, but I think that idea that you are, you are designing the redundancy, you know, and that's all the time what it should be about. All you give your children is a good education and a good sense of the world. Everything else must come from them. You know, and, if you, and I've seen many children who've been given millions of dollars and it's been the death of them. Literally, literally, you know. So you're not doing them a favour, stopping, the, uh, insulating them from the hard decisions of life, from the, from the ups and downs, the vicissitudes that we all have to face. Uh, so I think, as I say, make your role minimal and make yourself redundant. But don't stop loving them, of course. Now we're, now we're getting into, um, yeah, material needs and Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. And, well, mm-hmm. I, I reckon I've, I've got about... 10 other things here that, that we could chat about over <laughs> another couple of episodes. So if you're up for yeah, it, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to get you back on and, and, and continue chatting. This is, um, this has been awesome and, and an absolute pleasure, Adam. We always finish our Sandy Ball Parenting Podcast episodes with a segment called Time to Plug Off. And with that in mind, it's basically a, a four-pronged question. Where can those listening find your work? How can we find you? Uh, are you on social media and, and what's next for you as well? Uh, yeah, um, there's, that's a four or five prong question. I think, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm doing all the social media stuff. I'm on, uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm crime editor at large at Podcast One Australia at the moment. And uh, so you can find all my podcasts on, on Podcast One Australia, the platform plus iTunes and so forth and Spotify now. And I'm doing work with Channel Nine. I've got a series each year with them doing a crime series which I'm loving. Um, and I'm currently doing uh, some work with the New South Wales Police um, investigating some long-term missing persons cases and homicides, which is, again, a great honour to work with uh, fine detectives, fine investigators, and help uh, in a real sense to, to bring conclusion. It's, it's been a great move from being a true crime person to being almost a real crime person in this sense, which is great. So really exciting, and it's um, real privilege. Um, as far as social media goes, uh, you can find me at Twitter, which I don't use much. I think Twitter's a sewer. I hate it. Um, but it's Adam Shandy there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, Adam Shand Writer, I believe. That's where I do most of my posing and, you know, talking it's myself awesome up. Awesome content. <laughs> yeah, talking myself up. Um, and, yeah, Facebook as well. So, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, thank you again for, for sharing and, and being so open and honest. And, and I'm really excited for, for many other conversations uh, ahead of us as well. Thank you so yeah, much, and, Adam. And yeah. And I hope that you've drawn some positive lessons and if, if for yourself and if all, if it all goes wrong, it's not my fault. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. I'll take ownership of this one. Thank you so much, Adam and, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Cheers, man. Take it easy. Thanks, Sean. Good luck. Thank you for listening. Let us know if anything stood out for you during the chat. As the new pod on the block, it would be awesome if you look out for us and share this episode with someone that you think may be interested. While you're at it, why not head to our socials and share some love with a like, follow or comment. Keep an eye out for the next pod drop. Big thanks to Stilo Media for producing this piece of art we call Sounding Board Parenting. From our hearts to yours, we hope you're making progress on something that you love and makes you feel alive. Remember, this can go anywhere.